You're listening to a live audio recording from Women's Bible Fellowship at LEFC. Today's teaching is lesson number 10 from Gentle and Lowly and concludes our study. We'll be covering chapters 21, 22, and the epilogue. Thanks for joining us. Hello again. You know, I was thinking um, last week when I gave you my southern greeting, if you were here, um, that just popped into my head out of nowhere. And during the week, it's dawned on me that I would be remiss if I didn't prepare you should you ever be in a greeting grouping of your Christian sisters from the South, that you would feel comfortable in giving them an appropriate greeting. So I want to make sure that you don't just take what I said last week. So so here's what we're going to do. We don't say, I'm going to have you practice this with me, but I'll give you instructions first. We don't say hi like I did. We say, hey. It's kind of like an H-E-Y, but it's really H-E-I, unless you're from way south and then it's ha. But we'll stick with hey, okay? So we're going to do that. And then it would not be y'all, it would be all y'all, right? So one, two, three, we're going to just say hey, all y'all. Ready? One, two, three. Hey, all y'all. Yes, I'm so proud of you. Yay. It's awesome. So you will be prepared. You have lots of wonderful, we have lots of wonderful sisters all around the world. And sometimes I forget, you know, I think we are here in our wonderful grouping in uh, southeastern Pennsylvania, and that's fantastic. But there are ladies all over the world who are doing similar things to what we're doing. So that's just a hands off to them. So, um, I hope your 10 weeks uh, and 11th week, actually now, have served you well. And so we're going to be doing a little bit of a summary tonight. Um, But let me just begin in a quick prayer. Father, we're just so grateful that you do allow us to be here and that you do allow us to spend time uh, in your word, um, time in this wonderful book, Gentle and Lowly, and time exploring um, new perceptions, new ways, new maybe ways of thinking about the scripture we read, um, and always to bring it back to you, Lord. So I just ask you to bless our time together this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. So to the end, what does that mean? End of the book, end of the movie, end of the illness, end of the marriage, end of the ice cream, or maybe end of a life. A widely used English idiom is at the end of the day. Y'all heard that? At the end of the day? Doesn't literally mean 11.59 and 59 seconds p.m. um, at bedtime, whenever that might be. It's figurative for in my final analysis or after considering all the factors, um, this is what I think is important. But this week, we learned that to the end carries an infinitely greater, highly significant meaning. Ortland bifurcates this meaning to the end. Chapter 22 focuses on our future in this life, in this body, while chapter 23 turns to our future in the next life, in eternity, as his bride with him, made possible only by his death on the cross and his resurrection. Both chapters devote thought and time to glorifying God. And we'll return to this topic as a whole a little bit later. As Ortland shares, gentleness and lowliness of heart describe who Christ is, steadily, consistently, everlastingly, when all loveliness in us has withered, when there would be nothing left for a mortal, ordinary human being but abject fear without him, 
He knew the physical pain he would endure. He knew the separation from his father he would endure while bearing our sin. Yet Jesus came to the cliff of the cross and didn't change his mind. He walked over the edge. I got to thinking about Christ's courage in the face of that death this week, which he knew was his purpose in order to share eternity with his bride. That was supernatural courage, the sacrifice of all sacrifices. We humans, we can't even come close. But the experience of thinking you're brave enough to endure something painful for a greater good and then discovering you aren't that brave is definitely human. 1 John 3.16 says, By this we know, love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. And in John 13.38, Jesus was answering Peter, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. We think we are brave and we think we can endure, but without Christ, we're hopeless failures. So permit me to share one little story from my childhood. In the spring of 1955, I was six years old and I was very brave. Children were suffering, however, from a terrible disease called polio. And an amazing man, Jonas Salk, had created a vaccine so I wouldn't get polio. Yay! I was very happy about that. But lined up with my classmates on that fateful shot day, the closer I got to the front of the line, the more scared I was. My mom wasn't there. No one's mom was there. I didn't want to be paralyzed or in an iron lung or die. And I'm just going to put the pause here a minute and show you. I um, was talking with Pam earlier and didn't realize that maybe you might not know what that picture is on the left there. And those are all iron lungs, um, which kids who got polio, they didn't have ventilators or respirators like we do today. They were only able to breathe because they were in these tubes where basically it would create a vacuum which would allow your chest to expand and then release it and your chest would go back. And that's how these kids breathed. And they, the ones who didn't pass away were often paralyzed. They were in wheelchairs and some of them never made it out of these iron lungs alive. And so for me, um, it was pretty terrifying to think about that. And I didn't want to be paralyzed, and I didn't want to be in an iron lung, and I didn't want to die. In those days, most childhood communicable diseases were fair game. Babies were protected against diphtheria, tetanus, and pertussis, which is whooping cough. But most children got two varieties of measles. Most children got mumps, and most children got chickenpox, all with potential life-altering complications back to the dreaded shot line. Well, I was about three people out. My brave self disappeared in a whimper, which grew louder as I became number two in line and escalated to a full-fledged howl with tears when I saw a giant, very stern-looking doctor and nurse reaching for my arm. I did not have a true commitment to that shot. Even though I understood that it could save me from terrible consequences in the long term, and even though I loved my mom and I wanted to please her because she had said that it was very important, pride had gone before my fall and I was done. Well, my teacher rescued me in my trauma and sat me on her lap and calmed me as we watched my much braver friends get their shots and then their lollipops, which were the treat of the day.
I don't know how long it took, but eventually she held my hand and walked me over and I survived the shot and I never got polio, praise God. You could say that my dedication lasted until the going got rough. That's what happens with all of us at one time or another. We imagine something hard or painful or challenging and even though it's for our benefit with the best of intentions, we cave. Crumple like a discarded candy wrapper on the wind on Halloween. We are, after all, sinful people who, just like Peter, are subject to denial and failure when the going gets tough. Fear of physical pain or rebuke by our peers or a thousand other things may cause us to forsake, to give up. But not Jesus. He loves us to the end. And in order for us to share eternity with him, he voluntarily, as Ortland put it, came to the cliff of the cross and didn't change his mind. He walked over the edge. We love until we are betrayed. Jesus continued to the cross despite betrayal. He never looked back. We love until we're forsaken. Jesus loved through forsakenness. We love up to a limit. Jesus loves to the end. Ortland describes God's righteousness. He cannot tolerate sin. And inventing that righteous wrath, God was not striking a morally neutral tree. He was splintering the lovely one. Beauty and goodness himself was being uglified and vilified. Sorry. Stricken, smitten by God, he passed through the horror of the cross and drank down the flood of filth, centuries of sin, all that is revolting, even in our eyes. Taking on the sins of the world by a totally sinless man, that is newsworthy. That is good newsworthy. That is love to the end in this world. To provide a future in this world free of fear of dying, free of the anxiety that accompanies the feeling we get when we assess ourselves to be inadequate, subpar, shamefully unworthy, fully aware of the wonders awaiting us with him at the proper time. And yet, this sinless man did it all for us. To the end is much more than an extra inning or overtime. He gives us life ever after in a new heaven and a new earth, a life where we can see him face to face and praise and glorify our God. So Ephesians 2 says, so that in the coming ages, and Dr. Ortland mentioned that in the video, coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us and Christ, Christ Jesus. Chapter 23 begins with one of those questions. You know those questions, just five words. What's the meaning of everything? And you could spend an entire lifetime pondering an answer or answers, which is what so many do while inwardly and or outwardly denying and battling the truth of John 14, 6, when Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except by me. Or John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Ortland proceeds to give us a three-word answer to the five-word question, to glorify God. Amen and amen. He goes on, how exhausting is the misery of self? How energizing are the joys of living for another? 
If we can agree on the why of our, le- our lives, can we also agree on the how? First, he talks of obedience. Have you ever been in a restaurant and witnessed a parent giving a gentle word of correction to a child who is, well, being a child, loud or restless or otherwise potentially disturbing others? And when the child changes that behavior, quiets down, sits back down, I can't help but think, wow, that mom or dad has been doing something right. What a great example this child is of loving guidance, how good that reflects on those parents. So on a much larger scale, that's what we do when our behavior glorifies God. We represent who he is. Or when we watch the athlete who's been working maybe for a lifetime to excel in a sport, make the last second touchdown, or hit a grand slam home run, or sick that last putt, and immediately point skyward. No words are uttered, and they don't need to be. It's a simple gesture recognized by those watching. To God be the glory. 2 Peter 2.12 in the NLV says, Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then, even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior, and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. In addition to obedience, Ortland points to creation as a second way to glorify God, in particular that the eternal Son of God will obtain a spouse to whom he might fully exercise the infinite benevolence of his nature, fully loving and gracious to humanity, and thereby glorifying God. Said another way, Christ is infinitely benevolent and the creation of the world, and subsequently the marriage of Christ to the church, is to glorify God. Ephesians 2.7 again, so that the coming in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Yeah, grace in Christ Jesus, he is the grace. On page 211, Ortland says, do you realize what is true of you if you are in Christ? Those in union with him are promised that all the haunted brokenness that infects everything, every relationship, every conversation, every family, every email, every awakening to consciousness in the morning, every job, every vacation, everything will one day be rewound and reversed. The more darkness and pain we experience in this life, the more resplendence and relief in the next. Your homework this week involved looking up Psalm 103.12, probably familiar to many, if not all of you. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Unlike north and south, which have poles, you can go south and eventually you'll hit a point where you start going north and vice versa. But not so with east and west. They never meet. That's how far apart they are. It's infinite space. He's removed our sins infinitely far away from us. So the reality is clear. Ortland describes it succinctly. For those not in Christ, this life is the best it will ever get. For those in Christ, this life is the worst it will ever get. Ladies, he loves you more than you can think or imagine, and he blesses you in that way. Of course we want to glorify him. As we've been learning for several weeks from our sermon series here at LEFC, the day is coming and we need to be ready. 
desiring to be obedient and glorifying him? It's a great question to ask yourself each morning and to pray about. Lord, please help me to glorify you in all I say and all I do today. So, dear sisters, how does this all shake down and make sense for us? At the end of the day, Christ loved his own all the way through death itself. In him alone, your future is secure. But not because you attend WBF or do your homework or are a member of LEFC or are a good person. Nope, that's not the recipe. If you know him as your savior, Ortland says, you cannot be made unhis. Let me say it again. You cannot be made unhis. You can't squirm out of his grasp. Moreover, he will love you till the end. Your present is secure. Think about that. Each morning when you wake up with breath in your lungs and a beating heart, if you know him, he has your back to the end of your life, to the end of your sin, to the end of your temptations, to the end of your fears, whether that is getting a shot in your arm or the most horrific tragedy or the most heinous sin. No matter the line you're in, you have the knowledge of security through this life and into eternity. You need to have no fear for you are his and he is yours. And one final note, the epilogue. I'm hoping you all looked at the epilogue. Ortland summarizes the previous 214 pages in what may have been shocking to you. First, he says, what do you do with it all? Nothing. <laughs> Don't apply, just bask in it all. And then the reminder, the great reminder for any situation, two steps only. Number one, go to Jesus. Number two, see number one. Ladies, it's been such an honor, both for Pam and me, to share this journey with you, climbing up and down over the rocks and twisting roads of quotes and strange terminology and the works of amazing minds has been a challenge well worth our time. Thank you for your faithfulness in working through the book and the workbook. Thank you for thinking about, answering, and asking such great questions. Thank you for sharing your ideas and your concerns and your prayer needs with each other. So I'll end where we began today and 11 weeks ago. And one more time at the end of the day, our prayer is that you'll take and share the nuggets that meant the most to you, the ones where the Holy Spirit nudged you until you just had to dig a little deeper that week, or just let you know that this particular point this week or that one was perfect for your situation. Know that Jesus is always your intercessor and your advocate, that he loves you forever with more love and grace than you can imagine, that he is rich in mercies, that it makes him happy when you come and pour out your heart to him, that he is your gentle and lowly savior, and that should you forget anything or fall when you least expect to, you now have the answer. Number one, go to Jesus. And number two, repeat number one. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Spirit, for just guiding us through this book. Um, thank you for the opportunities that you've given us. Thank you for the things we've learned. And Lord, help us to share. Help us to share the things we've learned in the days, weeks, months, and years to come. Um, help us to give these words to others who may be anxious or frightened or feeling like they are unworthy. Lord, you've equipped us um, through this study a little bit more to be able to handle those days and those moments. And we just ask that you would give us that guidance. And please bless our time together now as we talk. In Jesus' name, amen.